0: Unplugged. We're back after a week off. Apologies and thanks to everyone who wrote in to check on us. Uh, make sure we're okay. We're all good. Huge congratulations to our regular co-host, Darren Parkin, on the birth of little Amelia Laura. As we bring in Aaron McGrath, H, is there a significance to, to that name for us?
1: Well, he is, but he seems to tell us that it's completely coincidental, but we're we not one hundred percent sure. <laughs> we're we we're, we're waiting to see if he has a boy next. Uh, we'll see what happens there. But yeah, well, <laughs> Darren, Darren, <laughs> it's not it's not a coincidence. Come on, <laughs> but yeah, we'll, um, we'll eventually all catch up, and I'm sure we'll we'll get a photo of that goes together that works well. So yeah, will yeah. Yeah,
0: we'll- We'll, we'll grab a we'll grab a beer together once once we're kind of all back on board. But um, for those listening who aren't sure what we're talking about, uh, Amelia is the name of my wife. Laura is the name of, of H's wife. So surely there's no coincidence that Darren's little girl is now called Amelia. Laura. Uh, as we get stuck into the show, uh, as always, just want to ask the listeners for reviews and ratings. Um, Obviously, we prefer if you can give us a five-star mm-hmm. rating and a five-star review on iTunes or Facebook or wherever you listen to the podcast. Uh, we really appreciate it. It helps the, uh, the podcast algorithms tick over. Um, and, of course, follow on socials. We're on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, etc. cetera. Uh, we welcome in the Morabin Wing legend, Michael Egan, to the show in place of Darren tonight. And, Mike, common sense prevailed with the, the tribunal tonight. Anthony Caminiti's charge downgraded, unbelievably downgraded for, uh, for a St Kilda player to careless and given just the three weeks after the AFL requested an insane five weeks. How did you see that pan
2: out? Um, we take the three weeks and run, I say. Uh, thanks guys. <laughs> uh, hi. And um, yeah, thanks for the pump up. Welcome. Um, yeah. We've got a, that three weeks. The I don't know who's going to be more cranky about that result, the AFL or Collingwood supporters. By, by Twitter, I think it's Collingwood supporters. Yes. It's been a um, interesting 48 hours on the, on the socials. That's for sure. But um, considering that St Kilda asked for four weeks um, and they deliberated for about three hours um, and then came back with only three, that's a a very rare win for us. I think Hammer will be really disappointed, you know, in a few things, but not least of all, that he won't get to play against his, you know, old side, No, use inverted commas there. Um, (laughs) But uh, the side we pinched him from, I'm sure he would have loved to come up against them. But, um, you know... He made a blue, you roll the dice when you do these things and unfortunately it came unstuck for a bit, but he'll he'll come back in, in four weeks, he'll maybe have a game of the VFL and tear some VFL defence apart and we'll see him back in the seniors again.
1: I was going to say, it was interesting that we did see that apparently they were going to try to use a SMS from Murphy and it was, I think it was said at the AFL said they weren't going to use it because it was going to be um, not good for his case, or something. Well, the tribunal said it wasn't going to be good for his case, which it seemed a strange circumstance. Yeah, I don't understand how. So I mean, if if they read the SMS, he might have got five. It, it, it's yeah, it's a really weird circumstance there. I'm not sure what what went on.
2: Yeah, I think. Well, it looked it like from from the report from.
0: Yeah, I mean, from the report from from David Zeta from Fox Sports on on Twitter, he was saying that uh, the SMS was was from Murphy saying that he slipped and that he he was mm. pretty certain that Caminiti didn't mean to get him in the head. Mm. Um, so who knows why they why they wouldn't didn't allow that? Yeah. yeah, I mean, it's it seems insane, but like you said, Mike, the AFL kind of making up the rules as, as we go along. But we'll um, I'm sure we'll, we'll have some more questions around Caminiti and. And what that means for for the squad in the coming weeks uh, later on the show, but um, as we look at the game just past round five uh, against Collingwood, it was hard to watch, but there were some positives. I think we I think we've now seen that against the best teams that the system still stands up, and and we can play with the big boys again. What did you make of our first loss of the season, H? It
1: it was frustrating to watch, as you said, um, just. Things not didn't go our way. Um, there's been things that have worked well for us all year, and just they just didn't quite click. Um, we had players that have been have been hitting targets all year, missing targets. We've had that at times the structure that we've worked with up forward didn't seem to be there. It, we'd, we'd all of a sudden be kicking to no one. I don't know whether we were moving the ball. We do move the ball quickly normally, but I don't know if we were trying to move it faster than we do normally. And when we move it, there, there was actually no one ahead of the ball and we were kicking it straight to their defenders. It, it's whether we were kicking that ball too long or we weren't holding it long enough for that kick to then find that target. But it, it, whether it was rushed or and Collingwood putting pressure on us and but just those little things just did not click. And I mean... We hit a couple, we hit what two, three more tuggers inside the 50. A couple of goals. There we go. There's, there's the four points for us. It's, it's as simple as that. That just the, only needed a couple things to go our way. And it's a completely different result. Um, but as you say, we we were right there at the final siren with who probably should be the top team in the league at the moment, the the premiership favourites at the moment. So it's, you, you take away the fact that we're, what, four goals down with three minutes to go and we lose by a goal. Last year, as I was saying to some we the way Collingwood kicked those few goals in a row, last year I reckon we probably lose by seven, eight goals. And we, we still dug in. We still put our head down and we tried something different. We put Mitchy in the ruck. <laughs> and, geez, that worked well. That worked really well. So I think we... Maybe found a little, um, I guess, a change up there. If if we find that we're struggling in getting the ball out of the middle, geez, Mitchy's got a—he's a great change up that can really give us something there. So um, we've in the I guess in the face of trying to do something against the top team, we've we've found an outlet that is going to give us something to look at in the future to use, and hey, it worked really well.
0: You, you talked about H, the, the decision-making and the poor skill errors and, and that sort of thing, and, and I think you're right. I think Collingwood's pressure was immense. I don't think we faced kind of pressure like that so far this year. That mm. They were really good, Collingwood. Um, and, and I think we were kind of right there with them for, for most of the game. Um, but Gather Round is something that has, it hasn't been spoken about much in, in I guess, the, the wrap-up of the game, and, and we know that there was – Poor execution. The skills were, were, were not there. It was hard to watch. It was an ugly, scrappy game. But, Mike, six games in four days at the Adelaide Oval, including that Saturday of torrential rain or Saturday afternoon, evening of torrential rain, do you think that had anything to do with the, the, the game, whether or not it was the outcome or the result? But do you think it had anything to do with, with the game or was that just
2: Collingwood's pressure? A little bit of both, I think, though I – it's a really risky exercise playing six games over four days on the one ground, even with... You know, well, we've the, never done it before. No, no. Even with the marvels of modern, you know, um, turf management, et cetera, et cetera, it's a real risk. And the way the weather was looking on Sunday, if if on Saturday, if Sunday had been a repeat of Saturday and it just pelted rain all day, that game would have just been an embarrassment. Um and there's already been some talk that they should move at least one more game next year, as it's now locked in for three years to a to a suburban venue, which I think is you know very wise. But just touching on something H said about um the turnovers that we um created for ourselves, there was a really interesting article, um, I think it was on the Fox website, but don't quote me from a, a quoting a guy from Champion Data today who actually made the point that. Collingwood, and he called it a bizarre tactic, but Collingwood forced us into the corridor. Uh, whereas when, when now, when no one is a side that goes around, you know, goes around the boundary and gives ourselves space mm. and we can put speed on the ball by having some space. Whereas Collingwood, you know, they're, they're a corridor side. But um, what Collingwood did was force players out onto the wings and forced us into the corridor. And by doing that, we're playing a game that we haven't been this year. Um, and we had to, to quote James Brayshaw, bite off some of those 45s to get the ball into the corridor. And we messed a few of them up. Um, I mean, going inside 50, we seem to have that atrocious habit of just picking Darcy Moore out and kicking it to him. But against that, they did that with Wilkie time and again. So, hmm. um, yeah, I, I think the AFL probably dodged a small bullet with the um, the weather being in um, so good on Sunday and B, the, the skills of the ground grand staff to keep the, the uh, stadium in as good a nick as they did. It, it did feel like a bit of a throwback
0: to, to mm-hmm. some of the, the grand old days of the last decade with those kicks inside 50 to, to Darcy Moore. You know, yeah. Memories of us kicking it to Jake Lever and Stephen May and Tom Stewart, Stewart. and these guys. Time after time after time, and those those guys having twenty five marks against mm-hmm. us every every time we played. But uh, it's a really good point about Collingwood's strategy of pushing us uh, through the corridor. Because I think one of the things that that's been a strength of ours in the early part of this season has been our um, our response to turnovers. So when we when we generate a turnover and we move it quickly through the middle, um, kind of in, in that single passage of play or you know, chain of handballs or whatever, and we move it so so quickly so smoothly, so directly through the corridor. I think it works really well for us, but it was almost like when they gave us too much time to think about what we were trying to do off half back, that we didn't really know what to do. And one of the things that I also noticed, I think that Caminiti played further, further deep, you know, in the goal square, just outside the goal square than he has in previous weeks. Um, you know, he's been averaging eight or nine possessions. I think he only had five possessions. He uh, normally averages around 160 metres gained. He only had 80 metres gained for the, for the game. He was playing far deeper than than usual, and it felt like we just, for, for the first time really, we really missed that secondary forward option. Cordy didn't offer a whole lot in this game as that kind of secondary forward option, and we didn't have anyone leading up. Normally it's been kind of Kamenidi that comes up to half forward and, and kind of up the wings and, and that sort of thing to, to contest and compete and, and whatever, and we didn't have that because Kamenidi was... Was further deep, and and I mean, mm. was was that a Collingwood was that a Collingwood tactic to, to keep Caminiti deep, or was that was that one of
1: Ross's tactics? Do you think H? No, not so sure, because um, the other thing I noticed was that we didn't um, have Marshall seem to be um, dropping in there as much as he mm. normally would either. Agreed. Um, it's a lot of times you're looking for him when the ball was going in, you're going, he's not there. And again, is that a case of we've moved up the ground so quickly that he's been left behind in the back line almost, or or what's happened there? And we've, we've just had nothing ahead. Um, but as you're saying, Corey, he, he got to a lot of contests, but didn't win it too often at um, Think he got basically most of his possessions just around the ground. I think the one mark he took, he actually is the one kick he had as well. So it was, yeah, it was it was a bit of a tough day out for him. As you're saying, conditions maybe not so great for the taller players. Mm -hmm. Um, It's that could have been part of the reason playing him uh, playing Caminetti deeper as well. That yeah, up the ground just may not have suited the taller player. So. Mm trying to get that, I guess that tall player into that true full forward position and try to win the ball there rather than him winning at 65 meters out from goal and no one in front of him. It's, I don't know. Yeah. It, it's almost like when, if it was up here under the ground, there was, yeah, he would be, he'd probably creep up to about a 50, but that would be about it. I think I remember him taking one mark on probably on the wing. It was a, the, it was a reasonable, pretty big mark. Um, but I think then he looked up and there wasn't much to kick to after that. So um, it's, yeah, there's it a, it, a bit of structure there. You sort of just go, as I was saying before, that just seemed to have dropped off a little bit. Uh, they, as we're saying, they made us play a game that we not, haven't played so far um, that just crowded the space that we normally have been able to find in the other weeks previous. Um, so it's just going to be a, try, a case of, I guess this week trying to recreate what we have done previously and don't let the don't let Carlton push us to how they want us how where they want us to go give make that space make them accountable for us to where we want to go and yeah it's a, it's just a I guess it's a learning curve against as we're saying the, the the benchmark of the competition and how well they structure up and learn from that and go now we know what what they will do to try to beat us so i mean chances are we I mean, we may meet later in the year, year again in in september but yeah we, we basically know what the game plan is now that when they i mean yes they could go in something completely different but they that beat us this time so they might do it again and yeah, we can be ready for it
0: now controversial topic, and and, uh, I I in no way want to make it seem like this is the reason we lost the game, and I'm not going to name any names because I don't want us to get sued, but (laughs) fellas, how do we feel about former players umpiring their former team's games? Mike?
2: Well, it's an interesting one, isn't it? Because you look at the socials every time (laughs) he gets appointed to his game, that's allegedly. Uh, He he who shall not be named. Yes, he who shall be, you can beat that out. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> um you know, the the sky falls in pretty much. And I'm just trying to think now. Jordan Bannister, I think, was the other player who did a stint um, umpiring. And I don't know, did the Carlton supporters get that much upset um, when the umpired Carlton games? It's it's an interesting one because for years we had the situation in cricket where international umpires, you know, we, an Australian umpire, um... Wouldn't stand in Australia, you know, um, mm. and blokes mm. like Paul Rifle, who, you know, had a has had a, a storied career as an umpire, you know, could never stand in a Test match in Australia. But since COVID, they seem to have um, eased back on that because yeah. of travel restrictions and. And I think
1: know. a bit more since the um, reviews and that sort of thing have come in as well. So I think that's that's been a the turning point there. So
2: yeah, 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 it's where they get found out a little bit, but. um you know, anyone who knows me knows that I'm not a great umpire conspiracist. You know, there's plenty of people out there <laughs> who think that the umpire shall remain nameless, you know. Um, counters too far the other way and gives us nothing because he does want to be seen as being biased towards St Kilda. But, you know, who knows? I'm, I'm fairly sure he gave us the the first two free kicks of the game. Um yeah, I think that was him. I
0: think we kicked a goal from the top of the goal square for yeah. one, I think was,
2: <laughs> yeah, and, a,
1: it's... and a fifty. We got one from a fifty too. Um,
2: but of course, that will that will counteract the you know in some people's eyes the seven hundred that he hasn't paid. But um, <laughs> look, it, it's an interesting one, um, and I've, and you know, like I said, cricket set the precedent for a long time. Do what you need to go the same way? Is it a slap on said umpire by saying, well, you can't umpire against your own side? Is that almost saying, well, you're not to be trusted?
1: H, yeah. but I think the yeah. I think the the time of bias and him being scared of being called bias is surely well and truly passed by now. That yeah. that's it can't can't be, I guess, what he's scared of, because I mean a lot of the fans now would forget that he even played for us. Um, yeah, a lot of I mean, there's people that don't even know who plays for teams these days. So yeah. <laughs> the chances are that. A lot of them wouldn't know anyway, um, but yeah, that that time of bias is well and truly past. Um, but yeah, there was there was there was a few there you sort of just had to shake your head and go, "How's that not been called?" Mm. I mean, they've. It's right. had a player suspended. Yeah. We didn't get a free kick.
0: That's right. It's, it's, the, yeah. it's the it's the it's the ones that aren't called more than the ones that are called, yeah. isn't
1: it?
2: The, the classic example, I think, was the um, the mark not paid and then paid to Caminetti, and much has been made of that you know that that photo that's done the rounds of you know six Collingwood blokes pointing um, at something, and it, you know it just looked like pure the descent, the descent
0: photo. Yeah, the descent
2: yeah. photo exactly. But <laughs> what caused the descent photo was one umpire calling play on because Caminetti played on as well, and then another umpire running in and paying the mark so. I don't know whether that's that's a byproduct of having four umpires, it's bad communication between the umpires. But you almost couldn't blame the Collingwood players for saying, "Hang on a minute!" But we just heard somebody yell, "Play on!" three seconds mm. ago. Um, is it descent or is it? Maybe the umpires thought, "Well, we've screwed up here." You know.
0: Yeah, the descent. I think descent rule sure. continues to flabbergast people. Yeah, for oh, any number of reasons. No, there's no um, consistency to it all, at all. No, no. I mean, but as there is with holding the ball and yeah. pushing the back and, yeah. you know, all of these things. So that's that's to be expected, I guess. Um, one other thing that I guess came out of this game,
3: mm.
0: and, and there are plenty, there's, there's plenty more to, to talk about, but surely at some point teams have to start making Nick Dacos accountable for the footy. We, we've got yeah, a very, very good defensive unit, a very, very good defensive team where defense starts at full forward. But how you let a guy so loose just continue to rack up disposals at will yeah. all day. And it's not just us. Like this has been happening for four weeks for the month prior as well. Yeah. And surely at some point, teams have to start making Nick cost accountable, H.
1: Yeah, I think there's been five coaches saying, oh, we should have tagged him. <laughs> that's that's, that's <laughs> as simple as it's been. that All five have gone, oh, maybe we should have done something about him. Um, it's yeah. I, I I thought we would have at least put some sort of yeah pressure on him. Um I mean, he's a
0: gun. Like, don't get me wrong, he's a gun. Yeah. He's oh, a superstar. Yeah, absolutely. But but um, you can't let
1: you can't let the guy just just sit there on his no, own and rack up no. the bill like that. Yeah. And just let him do whatever he wants. Um, the the only excuse you can have is that you're pressure pressuring further down the field and waiting for him to make a mistake, but he doesn't make many. And, that, <laughs> that's and that's right. the that's the only argument you can make that was, oh, we're going to let him kick it back to us. Yeah. But yeah, it just it doesn't happen. So it's it's an interesting one. Um, yeah, I'll be interested interested to see who the first team that actually does smother him is going to be. Um, well, the closest
2: it, I think we've had so th- far is against Brisbane. Um, Zorko was sent to puts a body on him, rough him up a bit, annoyed when he was not near the footy and mm. there was some off the ball footage of him getting pushed around and didn't work.
1: He still got twenty no, yeah, eight though, not he? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's because Zorko's old and slow, so yeah. <laughs>
3: um,
1: it's yeah, I thought it would be in Ross's Ross's playbook to put someone 100%. on like someone like that. So Yeah. Confused me. I thought even Confused. even like
0: a windhager potentially
1: yeah, a windhager yeah.
0: or someone like that He'll to to put the body on and, and make sure that he, he competes and, and has to contest the, the ball. But I mean talking about someone who racks up the pill. Brad Crouch, who is looking like one of the steals of the century for us now. I mean it, it didn't look that way early on from, from when we, we brought him to the club from from the Crows, but is Brad Crouch underrated, Mike?
2: Not amongst St Kilda supporters he's not. Um I was gonna say something to him. I, I'd to... even
0: argue that amongst amongst some St Kilda supporters uh, he still is.
2: I think less mm. less so this season. I think he's slotted into the the Jack Steele role, if you like. He's picked up the picked up the mantle while we haven't had the skipper and provided that, you know, grunt at the coal face. Um he's averaging thirty one disposals this year, which puts him in the that's the top ten. That's in the top ten in the comp. So He's just and an he ugly. doesn't take kick-ins. No, exactly. No, no. <laughs> unlike some other blokes who had forty-two <laughs> the other day. There was a. Um, there was actually an article. Um, Kane Collins wrote a big article about that in the Age the other day, and said basically it's a farce that they've got to do something about it. You know, since players have been able to play on, it now counts as a stat, um, and it's just inflating. You know, inflating blokes' stats. <laughs> It is. But, it, I, mean,
0: I think. I think he's right in that it does inflate stats, and I think the game in general has inflated stats over the last kind of ten or fifteen years. Uh-huh. But to say that they shouldn't be counted as a stat, I think, is kind of ridiculous. H.
1: Yeah. Um. It, it, it's a ball in play. So that's right. It's a kick. It, it's just. It's just the fact that they've changed the rule. But at the end of the day, players were still kicking it to themselves and running out anyway. So um yeah it's fair enough. I mean for the players that can you no know, the people that can pick it up for the Supercoach players and know the ones that do it then yeah. That's the that's the best way to do it. I think I think Nick Dacos is is a lot of a
0: lot of people set and forget captain at the moment for that for that very reason. Um someone who's not in as good form as Nick Dacos or Brad Crouch is Jade Gresham. And there's a lot on St. Kilda Twitter and St. Kilda Facebook groups about Jade Gresham and his form. H, where do you see Gresh at the moment? Is
1: he still best 22, 23? He's struggling. He, I think he, he is struggling a bit. Um, you sort of saw that situation that has also come up about the goal that Community did kick, that he's... Pretty much tried to steal that goal, um, and I oh guess yes, he made the space. Yes, he got to the open area, but still, in that situation, I'd much rather him see him putting on a shepherd. Don't stare there, calling for it, and then basically getting the sooks, I guess when you don't get the goal, put the shepherd on. Get help the teammate rather than trying to help yourself. I, I'm and, nodding and in agreement. Get so much more I'm, credit.
0: I haven't I haven't seen people I haven't seen people talking about that much. All, all I've seen, especially in the Facebook groups, was that Caminetti should have handballed and he had Gresham alone on the goal line. No, Gresham should have been moving Absolutely back not. to put Body on, on the chase yeah. the, on the tackler. Should have yep. been putting the putting the the, the shoulder on and, and making sure that Caminetti strolls into the open goal. Like that's just yeah. footy one oh one. Yeah.
1: He he runs at the player. And generally, you'll see that player stop going, well, I'm never going to get to the player ready again at a goal. Or, well, I mean, best case scenario is he hits him too late and Gresham gets a free kick after the other goal's kicked in right in front of goal. You make the opportunity a better opportunity. Because, yeah, I mean, if that happens, you've done the best thing possible. There's, yeah, so many different ways you could have done things there that just puts him in better light for pretty much everyone. Um, put put the team first rather than yourself. I mean, you might be struggling, but I think I think Lyon's going to look at him in a better light, putting on a shepherd for a teammate rather than taking an easy goal. That That's going to come up in the team talk better in his favour by so far. But the fact he just stood there, that is now what the highlighter for him is. He, he just stood there waiting, rather than actually, yeah, helping out someone else. So it's it's not, a, it's not a good look for him. I don't think. And we've we've seen Ross in his previous stint drop top line players back to the VFL. Would not surprise me at least if that happened. Would not have, surprise me at all if we get. We've got a couple of players coming back, and he could be on the chopping block, and because it was pretty much right down there at the bottom of the list this week of if you ranked players one to twenty three, he would pretty much be right at the bottom almost. Yeah. So, yeah, it, it's 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 not a great situation at the moment, and if he plays this week, oh, he'd be wanting to yeah fire up. That, that's for sure. Mick
0: Gresham's out of contract. Uh, at the end of this season. Where do you see him in the in the pecking order and, and should he is, is he best played as a forward or, or as a midfielder? Is he, or is he not in the or is he not in the best twenty two? I think he's a
2: really damaging small forward. Um and I I would hope one day that our bat our moving forward that our midfield can lift and have enough depth that we can basically play him as a permanent small forward because I think that's where he plays his best footy. Um he doesn't have to be as accountable. He's about the last bloke in the side at the moment you want trying to spot up a target inside 50. You want him to be that target inside 50 because he's clever. At his best, he's clever. He can get um, space on his man. He's got real goal sense. But using him at the moment more through the mids, the midfield as we are, he's just he's just making bad decisions. He he seems to almost panic when he's got the footy. Um, you know, he, he there was a... When we were playing really well in that first quarter against Essendon a couple of weeks ago, you know, he he probably cost us two extra goals with just bad decisions going inside 50 when the rest of the side was flying. So, look, that's how I see him. I think, you know, I, it worries me that we becomes a free agent. We don't try hard to keep him and a side with a really deep midfield, just plonks him in the forward pocket and he turns into, you know, Stevie Mill and V2. Um but I think that's where that's where he, we need to play him deep forward. Whether we can afford that at the moment with our injuries? Probably not. But that's how I see him going forward.
0: Another, I guess, polarising performance on the weekend was Rowan Marshall, who I think you know, we're all kind of expecting a, a mammoth game from from Row, given the, the lack of Collingwood Ruckman. Um, it didn't feel like, watching the game, it didn't feel like he was a dominant player on the ground. But you look at kind of from a data perspective, you know, he was one of the highest ranked players in the game on, uh, on Sunday evening, uh, Rowan Marshall. And I mean, how did you see his game H
1: uh, He wasn't dominant. There, there was absolutely no way he was dominant in the game. We're, we've seen him pull teams apart with much less possession, much less hit outs, but, I mean, he almost 50 50 the hitouts with Frampton, which I'm sort of thinking a lot of them are around the ground, he should have been outbody him in a lot of those situations. Um, he's, I, I wouldn't say he's taken him too easily, but I, it's almost like he, he's prepared for a full time Ruckman rather than a pinch hit Ruckman. Because. I mean that's basically what he is, but he hasn't he hasn't sort of thought that being a just a taller player and maybe a little bit more, I guess, agile, he's probably going to jump all over him. So he, he he didn't get that position, and I guess keep him keep his body in the way of the of the bounce or the the ball up in the around the ground to to, to get that first hand on it. He he sort of let Frampton into the contest every time and. I just, as I said, he's he's fifty fifty in with the the hitouts, and I think a lot a lot of the ones he did get his hands to it sort of because um, it wasn't a lot of, I guess, to advantage hitouts either. Um, There's a lot that went to a fifty fifty contest, or uh, I think quite there was a few that got picked off as well. Um, but he just, I just don't think he prepared himself for who he was going to be coming up against. He, he was. So almost felt like he was just preparing himself for just a regular ruckman. So I think next time, if that oh, we get that sort of situation again, where he's not going up against someone recognised, he sort of needs to realise, I need to dominate this player. They're they're not an experienced ruckman. I need to beat them at my craft. That that's it's his position to win, and um, yeah, I mean, beat him round the ground, I guess more possessions and that sort of thing, but the ruck just was not dominant. It's it's an interesting one because like you said earlier,
0: he was uh, until the last few minutes, actually not even in the last few minutes when, when Mitch Owens went into the ruck, he spent very little time up forward. So he really mm. was the number one ruck all night. Um, mm. it, it almost feels like he doesn't yet have that killer instinct as a ruckman, as a pure ruckman to, to do just that, to dominate,
2: his opponent, Mick, how did you see Roe and, and his performance? I thought at times he looked a bit cooked. Um, as you just said, he's taken the number one ruck mantle all year. Um, and I think it's a bit of a mark that, um, you know, with the game probably in the bag that, um, that Ross subbed him out at three-quarter time against Gold Coast. I think that was a, maybe a bit of a sign that, you know, have a quarter off, buddy, you've, you've uh, basically done it all. All season, but we've got to be a bit careful this week because we come up against two actual real Ruckman in Pittnet and Um, De Kony. um And if, if God forbid, something happens to him, then you know, Cordy and Cordy and Machito aren't going to get the job done against those two. Um, but I just, I sort of felt a few times that he. He looked like he was starting to look like a bloke who'd been the number one ruckman nonstop for
0: for five weeks. Yeah, he certainly looked like he was he was yeah. struggling a little bit, yeah. kind of that lumbering ruckman, which you're not used to seeing from from Marshall yeah. because he is so agile. And again, you know, maybe the ground was choppy and it was tough to run and all that sort of stuff. But but he certainly did look, you know, probably not even seventy five percent of of himself, even though he was, you know, from a data perspective, pretty. Solid in his performance, but Mick, you you sent a message earlier. Uh, one of the things that you wanted to talk about was the the media's reaction to to the loss on the weekend, and um, I guess surprisingly, it, it's been pretty positive.
2: Yeah, um, I don't think we lost too many friends. Um, maybe partially because we fought it right out to the end, and you know, another minute or two, we probably had them. But um, yeah, I, it wasn't the high standard. Um, blockbuster game of the round, maybe that a few people expected it to to be, but you know we we forced Collingwood into a lot of errors, just like they forced us into errors. Um, so yeah, I, I was quite pleasantly surprised, and there's a there's a real sense now that I think we've got a chance against Carlton, um, and a big part of that is last week I think it got found out that when Carlton. Uh, you know, a bit off the boil, they really rely on Kuno and Mackay um, to get the job done and in um, in Wilkie and Battle and Dukes um, we, we've got the ammo to shut them down as as much as any defence in the league now, I think um, obviously they've got, you know, they've got Walsh and Cripps and Chara and you know, Sarnoff, Halfback and these sort of blokes but, um If we can force them into some less than elite entries inside fifty, and they just rely on getting that separation, you know, Mackay and Nakuno, one of them plays high and one of them plays deep, and one almost kicking it to the other, um, you know, that's our game plan is really suited to stopping that.
0: H, I guess it's it's been a a complete one hundred and eighty from the the a media perspective, there was so much negative sentiment around the return of Ross when it happened in, in November last year or late October, early November, whatever it was um, the, the negativity surrounding the footy club after the rats departure and all that sort of stuff. And like you said, Mick, just the now the, the positivity around the footy club from a media perspective and on the flip side, going back to that, that from a public sentiment where if you're not a St Kilda fan, you hate the Saints. And we're, we're not used to that because I think historically, you know, we're kind of everyone's second team because you know, we're not a threat, we don't trouble people, all that sort of stuff. But it's going back to that period of you know, 9, 10, 11-ish where we were hated. Other fans yeah. hated St Kilda. And it's that's a really good place to be, yeah. H. The last 48 oh, hours. absolutely.
1: You, um, yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, what's the key thing between, yeah, Carlton, Collingwood, Essendon, and Richmond? Everyone else hates him, And that, if, to even get into that sort of category, you know you're doing something right. And and that's where you want to be. Um, I mean, one of the things that is, uh, I think a lot of people have looked at, I mean, I think the majority of people found it amusing. But there's been a lot of people kicking up a stink about the whole Ben Patton thing, not helping um, Ginevan up off the ground. <laughs> I'm sitting there going, oh, I loved it. I thought, yeah, we're not being pushed over. We're, we're not going to let them tell us what to do. Ben Patton just looked at him with his disdain and just went, get yourself up. It's <laughs> it's It was a great thing to watch. Um, and it, it's the sort of thing you go, I want to see us do more of that. And, yeah, it gets on down knocks on the down the ground, you don't just look back at them as you run off. It's um, sociable football. Yeah, basically. That's um, the sort of thing that you, you want to see more of. You want to see us beat a team that everyone's going, I don't want to play them. All, and then they turn up to the game going, geez, we really want to beat them because but, but, they don't want to lose to us. They don't want to, um, Basically, put up with us after it happens, and yeah, it's just a it's a good situation to to be in to be amongst that company.
0: Now we'll get stuck into the votes. Uh, obviously, if you've been listening to the show for for a couple of years, you'll know that recently we've uh, made a change to the voting structure. Instead of the standard one, two, three uh, that we've been doing for a couple of years, we're now doing a, a, an aggregate or a composite of ten total votes. Uh, divided up, however, the voter chooses. So, Mick, as the official unofficial guest slash host tonight, do you want to want to kick us off with with your unofficial votes for, for last week?
2: Sure. Um, I gave Ford and Wilkie. I think his game's gone to a level now where he absolutely deserves to be spoken about in the same breath as May Lever, Weetering. Darcy Moore is one of the absolute elite defenders of the comp now. Um, he, should, um, he should have a tailor out there fitting him up for an all-Australian uh, jacket at this stage, and it takes something for him not to get one. He's just been brilliant all year. Um, I gave three to Crouch uh, for all the reasons that we've already touched on. He's averaged at, well, 31 disposals this year. He's, he's picked up the mantle that we needed when the skipper went down. Uh, and I just thought he was our best our best mid. Go two to Josh Battle. Um he's dare I say it gone past Dudes as our second best defender at the moment. His his intercept defending, he's, he's marking um alongside Cal. Um has been it's just he's taken his game to another level this year under Ross. Um and that's that's something that we've needed more of, we needed blokes of his era, you know, his level of games experience to just step up a notch this year. And, jo- and Josh absolutely has. We've tried a few non-traditional defenders in defence over the journey. Um, Rhys Stanley being one example that jumps to mind straight away, but um, Josh has been the outstanding success you know, at, at, at it. Um, and I gave one to Hunter Clark thought his first half especially was to, was was really, really good. Um and um H has already touched on it, but I'd give an honourable mention to Ben Patton for as you said, just telling Ginnivan to get himself up off the grass. I, did, I, <laughs> I was watching that at work with the sound turned down and I didn't realise it was Ginnivan. I saw it happen, I thought, oh beauty, Ben. And when I realised that it was Ginnivan, I oh that's magnificent. You know? Of all the blokes that you wouldn't help up in that side, and if he had him, I reckon he would have been able to look Ross in the eye after the match. But I thought that hey, um,
1: he, yeah, he was a little bit unrecognisable with that without the blonde hair. So yeah, yeah, it was a, yeah. at first it was a bit. Then you went, yeah, yep. oh, it is him.
2: <laughs> yeah, that, no, that ten seconds gets even. Hey, horrible, you
1: you you? Go, <laughs> hey do you want to go? Hey, uh, do you to go?
0: Parko's votes and and your votes.
1: Yeah, I'll chuck in Darren's first. So uh, he basically gave two to Crouch, Battle and Wilkie uh, and then one to Ross, Filippo, Sinclair and Marshall. So he spread his votes out fair way this week. Um, I've pretty much given the old 3-2-1, but a tale of ones. Um, <laughs> yeah, one to uh, Battle, Clark, uh, both, both pretty much the reasons Michael's covered already. Um, Jack Sinclair, they just service as always. Um, one to Filippo at back at home. That great first half, if he followed that first half into the second half, it would have been, could have been a match winner. Um, and I gave one the Ryan Burns. I actually, actually quite enjoyed the game he played. I, I thought he actually put a fair effort in on the weekend. Um, popped up a few times in the right spot. Um, missed one, the goal, but then came back and kicked one not long after and yeah, kept us in the kept us in the game there at the end. So um, then I got going back the other way. I got two to Wilkie, solid as is all the time. It seems he's just just week in week out. Just does does everything. Does everything he needs to do. Um, it's if I'd spare more spare votes, I probably would have given him some more. But I thought Brad Crouch was best on by far. Um, we are talking before about him being underrated and only got what one coach vote, but I think he did a whole lot more than that. Um, he, he deserved a lot more than what he got there. So, yeah, three to Crouch. I think pretty similar to you guys. I gave
0: one to Filippo to and Clark. I thought their, their first halves were outstanding. I thought Hunter Clark at halftime was just about best on ground. Uh, and, and on Filippo, how nice is it to see a young kid walk in Calm, cool, collected, not flipping the ball around, straight line, none of this around the corner stuff, <laughs> kick through the ball from 50, drop punt, and it's just dead eye. He's a beautiful kick of the football, um, and I love watching him kick. It's just a bit of a throwback to the old days when players just kicked drop punts and mm. they didn't miss. Um, so one to Filippo and Clark, have two to Josh Battle. I thought that was a very, very good game from Josh Battle. I think you're right, Mike, in that he's kind of, taken over that, that second defender uh, mantle from, from Dukes. And uh, yeah, he's, he's really come into his own as that center halfback type role. Uh, I gave two votes to crouch. I thought he was very, very good. And yeah, it was kind of surprised that, that only the one coaches vote, but I guess in a game that you lose those, those votes to losing players is, uh, is probably going to be um, probably spread pretty thin. So uh, it's probably understandable. and I gave four to Cal Wilkie. I thought he was the dominant player on the ground. Um, just another another incredible game by Cal Wilkie. And uh, I guess one one thing that I wanted to ask you guys in in one of the chat groups, uh, Mike that you and I are in with a few other Saints fans from from Twitter and stuff, the question was raised on Sunday night. Um, obviously Jack Steele's coming back in this week and and that's great. he's our. on-field leader, but Cal Wilkie has really stepped into that that leader-type role. Um, Is there a case to be made that that Cal Wilkie should be the captain of the footy club? Mick?
2: Um, Probably it's something that we discussed at the end of the season. They're obviously not going to do it before then, but um, I think it's up to to Jack. I I don't know under Ross how it works, whether the players vote for it or um, under the new regime exactly how it works, but... uh, well, Cal's done absolutely nothing wrong. Um, leads by example. Um, almost in a dare I say it, Nick Maxwell kind of role at Collingwood, you know, of that sort of defender who just unassuming and led his actions. Mm.
3: Um Tom Harley
2: as well, I guess. Yep, yep, yep. Which which the skipper, you know, which Jack does too. But um yeah, look it's a discussion that'll be had at the end of the year, but whichever way they they go, you know, we've got two worthy leaders. There' no better bloke to be marshalling the, the
0: troops in the back line than Cal. Yeah, like you said, I mean, nothing's going to happen now. It's, it is a discussion for the end of the season, if it's if it's even a discussion at all in, inside the footy club. But H, your thoughts?
1: Yeah, it's that's basically what it is. I mean, we talk about those other players and you go, they might not be the best player in the team, but they're obviously the best leader and they're picked for a reason. And he, he fits that category perfectly. Um, I mean, Gears is probably the perfect example of that. By far, not our best skilled player and I guess pin player or anything like that, but it was the leadership. And it's lucky that, uh, I guess, Wilkie has that ability of... He's actually really well-skilled, but he clearly has that ability of leading the team as well. Um, he, he's not the flashy uh, Brownlow favourite midfielder who who we appointed of, of, as a captain at some stage, but he's just got every other quality that is required of a captain. So uh, chances are, I mean, it, it there's a good chance it will happen at some point. Now, before we move on, I
0: guess, to the rest of our talking points for, for the rest of the show, I wanted to ask you guys, about the significance pre-game of the apology from Collingwood to Nicky Winmar to Gilbert McAdam uh, and their families and, and the Indigenous community. Um, were you guys at, at the game in 93 at, at Vic Park?
3: Not me,
2: no. I was um, installing a stereo at my in-law's house, listening to it on the radio. <laughs> for some reason, I just remember that. I mean, 30 years is
0: a long time to wait for an apology. So what, what, did, yeah. you, what did you guys make of of... That, obviously, the timing of it, 30 years since since that day. Um, what, what did you make of, of that
2: and, and the significance of it, Mick? Um, I think credit where it's due to Collingwood. They've they've taken the run with the ball on this and they've um, taken the initiative and done all the right things. I think they've acknowledged that their regime back in that time, without mentioning any names, some of their senior office bearers, um, had some pretty dated attitudes um, and the way I loved how we sort of ran through the same banner and um, other things that went on on the day but um, yeah I I, I think a Nikki's been very gracious. Um, I think today they were having a ceremony at Victoria Park this afternoon. Um, um, yeah, Nick, Nikki's been very gracious, and I think he acknowledges that Collingwood have moved on, and that we just we can just hope that footy, as a whole, has moved on as well.
1: Yeah, it's probably, um, I guess, significant having it on this round as well. It, it, you sort of think, well, you got everyone coming together, everyone um, being in the one place, and and that's kind of what I guess they they heritage almost is uh, that that's, that all coming together and celebrating something so yeah the, the, the whole how it's all come together at that time and the timing of it and they've been exactly almost on that 30 years and it, it just sort of I guess everything aligned and yeah they I guess they, they looked at it as the opportunity is like okay this is the best time to do it the best way to do it and um, I just looked at how Nicky was on the day, and you sort of go, he looks in a really good bes- spot at the moment. He, he's looking really well. He's, um, yeah, and, and how he presented himself on the day was he's, he, he was, he, he almost looked uplifted and he was, he was sure. proud of what was going on. So, yeah, mm-hmm. they did, did it really well. I thought it was
0: a, a brilliant interview and, and moment with Eddie Betts and, and Nicky pregame. on the the turf. I thought it was just just really heartwarming and and beautiful to see. Uh, We don't have a high profile guest this week, but we do have a champion of the Saints fan uh, on the show with us. So I thought we'd take some time to to maybe get to know Michael Egan because a lot of you listeners will know Mike from different things uh, around the traps over the last couple of decades of Saints footy, but uh, you might not actually know Michael Egan. So Mick, Thanks again for joining us on the show. I thought we'd, uh, we'd just jump in and, and take five or ten minutes to get to know you a bit more.
2: Um, yeah, it's worth knowing, ask away. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, I guess the, the first question is, how did you become a Saints fan? We, we asked everybody this, but how did you become a Saints fan?
2: Um, look, th- there is a story to that, and the sort of circle of Saints fans I mix with have probably all heard it a hundred times. So if you're listening, and you're about to hear it for the hundred and first, I apologise. Um, I moved to... Uh, Victoria from country New South Wales when I was in grade three we <clears throat> we moved to Mornington and I went to a really small primary school in Mount Martha Osmond primary if anyone knows it um yep yep um <laughs> and I don't think it's so small anymore but mum picked us up after school one day and I hadn't picked us aside you know you're you're a kid and a boy in a school you've got to have a footy team to back for and I thought oh Collingwood heaps of kids back for Collingwood you know I want to fit in, I want to make friends. I was owing an and owing, I didn't have a side. And mum picked us up after school one day and had a packet of chips for us. And back then, I think there were some Valley chips, but I might be wrong, they had a footy card inside them. And I thought, well, whichever footy card is inside this packet of chips, I'll follow it. And it was St Kilda. And that is 100% true story. And I bought for far too much money on eBay a few years ago a, a, a card from, you know, that a replica, if you like. Of um, <laughs> that card because that's how it all started. Do you, do you remember what card it was? What player? No, it was just a generic, just the crest. Oh, just a club. Card. No, just oh, a club card it's a logo. No, yep. Yeah, yeah. It was only a small. I was going to do a handpick, but no one can see me. Uh, it was only like a small luck uh, cigarette card sort of size, just in the packet. But no, yeah, I thought it's well, seems,
1: yeah, because they seems to be a similar similar story to um to the famous famous Matthew Hardy story. Yeah, He's got yeah. the whole thing of the. Trevor Barker card and, mm. um, yeah, it all started with a pack of footy cards. Yeah. Yep, yeah. Basically, that's yeah. how the book opens.
2: Yes. Yeah. I know, Nick, you've got a, you know, storied family history of following the Saints and there was nothing and none of that for me. My family were, you know, very very casual footy types. My dad broke from Melbourne because he went to school with some of the coordinators, so that's how he became a Melbourne fan. My mum and sister weren't really footy people at all until I showed it really just then you know mum and I used to go watch the Saints at Morabin back in the day because living in Mornington I couldn't get up by myself <laughs> so that's how that all started.
1: Uh, now something else that was started is basically as we've mentioned earlier the Morabin wing basically coming from the old sensational forum and just just trying to I guess create an area that had an atmosphere that everyone could sort of come together and it's, it's led to the point of having reserved seats and all that sort of stuff. But how was basically getting that started? And I know you dealt with a lot of the, I guess, officials at the, at the ground and that sort of thing with the club and that trying, just getting it up and going. And so how's it all panned out? Um,
2: It all started, but um, I can't claim any of the credit for the actual, the genesis of the wing. Um, there was some publicity for it, as you say, on um, on sensational back in the day, which you blokes and um, you know a few of your listeners spent some time trying to keep a bit of law and order in. Um, back in, oh, I'm going to say 2002, 2003, two two blokes, Steve and his mate Ben, and Ben's a regular listener and you know um, social media uh, person for the Saints. Um, they got together and decided that. There was no, when you went to um, Docklands, Docklands, Colonial, whatever you called it back then, um, you know, you, for a home game, you had reserved seats, so you had people in the social club, but for people who didn't have a reserve seat or weren't in the cheer squad or just wanted to rock up and find a seat each week um, for whatever reason, there was no real area where you could just turn up, sit down and know you would be, Surrounded by Saints fans, which seemed not right at a Saints home game. Um, You know, we weren't doing that well back then, so the crowds weren't huge. But those two guys just decided we need to do something about that, Um, and they threw the idea out on Sensational, and they picked a spot on aisle thirty-five. And the the original name for the was the Robert Harvey Wing, for obvious reasons. and I remember Steve standing on the footbridge outside um, Telstra Dome, I think back then, um, handing out flyers, telling people if you don't have a reserve seat, if you're just turning up in GA, come and come to aisle Thirty Five and Level Three, and you know, hang out with other Saints fans. And I was standing there chatting to him one day, and this bloke from the City of Melbourne came up and goes, "You can't, you can't hand those out." And Steve's like, "What are you talking about?" You know, he said because where we were standing on the footbridge was actually under the auspices of the city of Melbourne, not the city of Docklands. And the city of Melbourne had a decree that all flyers that handed out had to have a non-littering sign on the bottom. So I had to say, you know, dispose of thoughtfully or something like that. And this bloke actually said, you can't hand those out, go away, because they're not, they don't conform to Melbourne city council standards. So um, Steve had to go away and put a stamp on him or something the next week, saying dispose of thoughtfully, so we could start hanging him out again. And that's the genesis of the wing. People turned up word of mouth, sensational. Um, one club figure who was really supportive back in the early days was Russell Morris, who was our I think commercial operations manager. He was he was terrific. He gave us a plug on the on the field and. Um, and for the first few years, we used to put signs up at the um, entrance to aisle 35 just so people who walked past mm-hmm. could, could see. Um, in 2008, the club decided to sell, you know, we were doing better and there was a buck to be made. So the club decided to sell some seats at the front of level three. So I think the one of the membership people from the club contacted me. It wasn't you, Rory, if you're listening. <laughs> <laughs> Rory, Rory's listening in silence. <laughs> anyway, so to cut a long story short, I went in there with 30-odd membership uh, reserve seat applications and sat down with a, a girl from the membership department and we mapped out a seating plan. Um, and some of those people are still sitting in those seats to this day. Um, we've had people move on. Uh, we've had some people relocate to Level 1. We've had some new people come up to the wing. Um, we're no longer allowed to put signs up. That got kiboshed in the last year of uh, what was it called before Marvel? <laughs> um, uh, Eddie had, Eddie had, Eddie Eddie yes, had, yep. Eddie had. We didn't conform to their, um, we didn't conform to their, um, to their signage standards, um, and they weren't too fond of the blue tack we were just using to pit them up. They could pull <laughs> out and
1: kill them. Not somebody. not gold plated.
2: Yeah. <laughs> Um, so it's no longer signed, but you know, word of mouth, social media, we still get a healthy crowd up there, you know, people know if you um, if you want somewhere to sit to be amongst the faithful, whether you're coming from interstate or um, we've the wings decamped to most capital cities in Australia in various forms, you know, we've been to New Zealand, we've been to the Gold Coast many times. Um, so it's, yeah, it's still a thing to this day. It's, it's an
0: amazing story. And I, I remember now that you've mentioned it around the, the support from, from Fly, I remember back in the early to mid mm-hmm. 2000s, Fly got a group of us in, and I'm sure that was kind of led by you um, and, and probably Benny as well, getting into the club to go through some chants that that the group had kind of put together to see if we could get them kind of officially ratified by the club, that we could could kind of sing yeah, at the ground. And uh, I don't think anything came of it at that point, but but obviously nowadays you look at what, you know, the aisle the, 29 boys are doing and obviously, you know, huge supporters of, of the footy club um, was, was kind of the very early uh, a, a adopter of, of those sort of things. Um, yeah. Did do you kind of look back at the, at the Moorabbin wing now and go, Holy shit, look, look at what this has become.
2: Well, a little bit. It, it's, it's, it's a movable it's a movable beast. It um as, as you say, um Steve and Ben are both massive, massive um football world game fans. And I think, yeah, there was a there was a, a time where we thought you'd be good if we, you know, get a few soccer songs going and whatever and for whatever reason it probably didn't take off how we would have liked or hoped, but as you say, Fly was really supportive. I do have a memory of going into the club at some point and doing a bit of sort of practice, as it were, but <laughs> but it's a it's a movable beast um you know where i you know i remember games like the the aussie jones point win against um um against brisbane and you know the 09 game against geelong where uh that was an all ticket game. we had 140 people ran figures who bought tickets through me to go and sit on the wing for that game because back then the stadium used to decree that that sort of a drop of hat that every seat's a reserve seat. Um, and there's
1: been
3: yeah. some, you know, we've had it was some actually, amazing times up there. Yeah,
1: it was actually, um, Ben that I was mentioning a few weeks ago on the 150th show that on that Brisbane that. game where we won by the point, and he was the one that <laughs> leapt on me and pretty much <laughs> always rode me down the stairs. It was, yeah, it was. <laughs> Um yeah, crazy night up the top there. There was the one one night I look back and go, Jill, I'm glad I was up in that part of the ground. So Yeah. Uh, we've had some yeah, perfect
2: times. Last last one
0: from me before uh, maybe H you can ask your, your standard t- to guests. Um but before Morabbin Wing, there was Morabin. What what are your I guess what, what are some of your favorite memories or, or moments from uh, from the stomping ground? Ah, uh, well
2: I've got a few because I'm a bit older than you, bloke, So I went to my first game there in 1970. Um, May the 30th against Melbourne. Still got the footy record. We won. Um, but quite apart from, you know, some amazing games, and I think the one that always will jump out at me was the day Plugger kicked um, what did he kick, 10 or 12 against Carlton. Took that big mark right at the 10. end with 10. Yeah. 10 goals nine, I think, or something. And he took that big mark happen, over yeah. the full back of the century. Um, Won the game for us. And there's a possible urban myth that when Plugger kicked that goal, you heard the roar in the, um, in the Safeway at back <laughs> near <in> the station. <laughs> but that game will always stick out to me. But um, just the walk down from the station, you know, it was so, so iconic getting off at Moorabbin station and, you know, walking downstream through that little... um. Through that little alleyway out at a horsecroft place and yeah. then, you know, walking down and turning right. And in the early days of going before TV went colour, yeah. I told you I'm older than you blokes. Um, <laughs> I just remember walking up that ramp onto the terrace at Morabbit and the green grass. Seeing a footy ground with green grass, because it was it was weird back then because you watched all your VFL footy in black and white. And to actually see a ground yeah. in full colour was Kind of a bit weird, almost. But yeah, so (laughs) that's a that's a broad sense. Just the ground. (laughs) It was there's nowhere else I've ever watched a footy game like it.
1: So you've obviously listened over the first weeks here this year and that. So you pretty much know the next question. So 150 years and to you, what is St Kilda? That, that's that's pretty much the question we're gonna be asking everyone this year
2: Oh, it's it's family in some respects because I think parko said this a little while ago and, it, and it's so true that you defend your club against stuff that you know you probably shouldn't you know it, it's like a family you you defend them even though they've screwed up you know and there's been countless times the Saints have um, look an example of this week, you know, Caminiti. If that if Caminiti had been on the receiving end from Murphy, we were under the death penalty for him. But because <laughs> um, Caminiti dished it out, we're looking at ways that we can, you know, lessen the pain. And that's that's what families do, you know. Um, my first hero, Saints hero, was Carl Dietrich. Um, I wore the number 10 jumper when I was a kid to games and to this day, I'm not quite sure how mum let me idolise him because, you know, the the more I watched him, the more I realised, you know, he didn't mind dishing him out. But, yeah, it would have been a know, few he,
1: games you went to he wouldn't have been playing. <laughs>
2: <laughs> that's that's true. Or he was playing for Melbourne. Um, but you go to school and, you know, your your mate, Carl, you know, snorted somebody or whatever, and you'd have to defend him because he's, you know, he's a Saints player, so you find a way.
0: Well, Mick, thanks for uh, thanks for joining us. Obviously, th- this week, and and we'll we'll move to the the next game, round six against Carlton at Marvel. Uh, and if you haven't got a seat, then have a wander up to level three and and say good day to uh, to Michael Egan and crew on the Maravan wing. Um, but we do look towards Carlton. They had a bit of a wake up call on the weekend, but uh, all in all, they've they've looked pretty solid. They're sitting at three one and one after that round one draw with Richmond. Um, they got pumped on the weekend though, pumped by nearly 10 goals by a team that finished 14th last year. That is a wake up call. If ever I saw one. And if, if anyone needed a wake up call, it was blues fans, I think. So, um, let's take a bit of a look at, at that game. Obviously the big news, uh, from, from a week or so ago is that Jack Steele's coming back, uh, obviously a massive in and someone who doesn't matter how, how the team's going, we could be sitting at five and zip and Jack Steele coming in improves us immeasurably. Um, Mick you see are you forecasting any other change obviously coming out um in but but what other changes are you looking at for the for the side this week
2: I I don't think we played badly enough to really hit the paddock button on that I watched most of the Sandringham game um in the slop there at Trevor Parker Oval on uh, on Sunday morning or early afternoon and look um Sharman and TC didn't play because they were – with the senior side in Adelaide, Moore, um, look, the, we're pretty, we're pretty good for sort of rebounding defenders at the moment. He got a heap of the footy, but mm. um, apropos of what we were saying a bit earlier, he, his figures, of when you just look at them after the game, are flattered a bit by the fact that he takes all the kick-ins. So people say, "Oh, he gets 25, 30 every week." There's, there's some kick-ins in amongst those, mm. but and, and know, he's
0: not, he's not coming in for for Wilkie or Bal. No, exactly, like, that's exactly no
2: um no. so just um Paris um is okay he's improved from last year whether he's good enough to to unseat Gresham yet I don't think so he is a little bit like for like you know he's a is a small foot he's, he's he's quite smart his disposal's not brilliant but he's got some pretty smarts he's really quick um he's very pacey um as I said you know Sharman didn't play. Tom Campbell didn't play. Um, so based on that, no well, one's. I was going to say, Membry,
1: Membry oh, course, did play. Yeah. He,
2: he did. He got several um,
1: touches. Not a no great day for him though, by the no, looks of it. So. No.
2: But I think you've got. A I can't, can't imagine
0: now. that will that'll hinder him too much. I no. think. Yeah, especially with Cameniti out, I think memory just comes straight mm, back yeah. in. Yeah. Yeah, I, yeah, I think, think so. Anyway. Yeah. How big can, can we? Can we measure, I mean, obviously it's, it's hard to predict, but can you measure the impact of bringing in two senior leaders like a Jack Steele and Tim Membry, H?
1: Um, you can with the result. That, that, that's pretty much the best measure. You, you, you bring them in and they contribute to their standard and we get the result. If, if we find that Membry comes in and doesn't get a touch and we lose by three goals you sort of think, well, that that was the wrong call. He hasn't provided anything. If anything, we've lost a player that maybe could have played a better game in that position. But if he plays that usual role that he plays, being down forward and then pinching down back, if we've got to try and stop a small run or he's got to roll a a player that he's following who might be sneaking up forward or something like that, just, just to provide that extra defensive efforts and we get the result then you go well it's absolutely what needs to be done and i think that probably outweighs the reasons for not playing him um there's, there's probably bigger upside in having him in the team than not i mean, we might look back in the situation that we don't play him and then sort of think well he could have been the difference and we're not going to know unless we actually do playing. Um, well, I think but you just, I it, mean, there, it's the leadership that he brings as well. That's, that's the thing that we're looking for too.
0: There aren't a whole lot of other options. I mean, while we're at it, uh, yeah. you know, it's, it's really Membry or Sharman comes in for, mm. for Caminiti. And, and if you had to choose between the two, I mean, like you said, Mick, Sharman didn't play on the weekend uh, and, you know, hasn't set the world on fire in the, in the previous month. So who would you rather? Tim Membry, Maybe slightly
2: underdone, or Cooper Sharman? especially as Cooper sharman has been spending all his time for Sandy on a wing, and um, that's right. And Jake Batchel admitted that in his post-match summary, he said, "You know, Cooper Sharman is a wingman for us now. So you're not going to take him and suddenly turn him into Cameron v Um I think hmm. Coop's days as a as a you know lead up forward are probably probably done now. I'd say. This is the one thing on mm. um, memory. It'll be interesting to see under under uh, Ross how he uses Tim defensively. Um, mm. In the past, both, both Rats, and I'm pretty sure Richo did it too, you know, our get out, if things weren't going so well in the last seven or eight minutes of a quarter, we'd throw memory behind the footy. it be interesting to see whether whether Ross, if things aren't going great, um, employs mm. that tactic or whether he backs um Wilkie Battle and dudes to still mm. you know hold the wall up. Part of me will that if
0: that move was a was a memory move rather than a coach. Yeah, I was about move. to say yeah, just American, him kind of using his own yeah. kind of experience and and free yeah. iq it to, to, to push up Yeah, yeah. Um, reading the play. Yeah, a, Just yeah. Uh,
3: yeah.
2: But he still would have had license to do it from the coaches. Sure. Um sure. it'd be interesting to see what mm. Ross goes, look, I know you used to do that, but until you you know until the runner comes out and tells you
0: there so we are. Yeah. And uh, look, I mean, dis- despite the fact that, that the blues did get pumped on the weekend, I mean, it, it is going to be a tough game. Like this is not a fate accompli by, by any measure. I mean, there's a, a number of um, avenues to, to goals for, for Carlton. Obviously we know they twin towers in attack. Um, uh, Harry Mackay and, and uh, old mate. Kurnow. Kurnow, Charlie Kurnow. Um, I think we just have to trust our, our defense. Like they've proven themselves over a number of years, not just in the first kind of month and a bit of this season, but over a number of years that, that they are an elite defensive unit. And, and they've gone to another level. I think this year, Wilkie battle Howard and, mm. and the guys around them. Um, I, I don't think we have any reason to go into this game scared of their four line. Do you H?
1: No, not at all. I mean, they they basically aren't a group of defenders. They're a defensive unit, and that's how they work. They they know their roles, they know the structure, they know basically what their job on the day will be. And as as we're saying, we're talking about Wilkie being captain material. He leads that that unit magnificently, and they and they all know exactly what what he wants of them. You don't see. I mean, occasionally there might a player might get caught out somewhere, and there'll be a. I've seen well, you talk to a player, a couple of players, a couple of times here and there, but it doesn't happen very often. And a couple of times you look, see, okay, they've something hasn't worked there, and I'll talk it over. The next thing you know, the player that has all of a sudden got out by themselves and get the goal. Next time the ball gets in there, that player get doesn't get near it because they've realised that. No, that's what has to happen now. It's they're very, I guess, what's flexible. They're very structured, but at the same time, very flexible in the way of knowing what the danger is. So the ability of being able to move to where we need to help, and we need to clamp down and so on someone, we need to make that, I guess, the corridor not letting the player come in loose there and picking it off in the send there. I mean, um, Stock has come in and fit in perfectly as well. He, he's just slotted into that group perfectly. It's it, it works down there really well and it's going to take some really, really good forward lines. to. Have, I, we still haven't had more than 10 goals kicked against us. It's, it, it's just really um, tight down there and teams are going to continue to struggle. So yeah, until someone really breaks his open, there's going to be nothing changing in the way we see what how, how it's going at the moment.
0: Well, I mean, Jack Steele coming back in is is obviously a huge in uh, for our midfield and, and he's got a history of some pretty, pretty big performances against the blues, but I think that their, their midfield has changed over the last couple of years as well. And, you know, we talk about, we've, we've heard Ross talk about our running power and our midfield and our wingman and, that type of stuff. But Carlton's, Carlton's centre line and their midfield and, and wingers and half-backs, half-forwards, etc. are pretty powerful runners as well. You look at, at guys like Walsh and, and Cripps, uh, Chera, uh, the Alicurno, Blake Akers now, Nick Newman, Saad. They brought in uh, Ollie Hollands in, in the draft, who's like a Sam Walsh light, like just yeah. never stops running. The, the running power is there in, in their midfield as well, and that's something that we've got to be wary of, Mick.
2: Yeah, 100%. Um, It's interesting you mentioned Holland. I'm watching a bit of that Brisbane, uh, that uh, Carlton game last week, and they put up the Telstra tracker every so often with the GPS numbers, and he was running further than anyone in the whole Carlton side, and he's playing his fifth game or whatever it was. So, yeah, he's certainly got endurance. And you're right, especially they've got two recognised ruckmen. Um, So to feed that midfield... Um, but I think working in our favour is that it's, it's a really nice problem now. But in the past, we've, we've always sat here before a game and gone, oh, you know, we just can't keep kicking into to Tom Stewart or we just can't keep picking Lever and May out or or, mm. or which we can't do this Sunday, obviously. But it's nice now that the other mob are going to have to put some time into us saying, well, we can't just bomb it in there because Wilkie and Battle will have a field day. Um, So they're going to have to work their forward structures around our defence because, you know, they're two very, very good forwards. You know, Charlie Curnow's a gun. But they're still going to have to work out structures around our defence, whereas Mm. even a couple of years ago, it might have been us going, well, how are we going to stop Curnow and Mackay? I think it's our defence has got to that level now.
0: Mm. You mentioned you mentioned there to recognise Ruckman, and I guess that is that is one of the questions. I think especially with with Caminiti coming out, Membry's going, obviously he's not as tall. He, he's not your traditional tall forward, Tim Membry. So we are a little short up forward. Um, with Pitnet and, and De Koning for, for Carlton, is bringing Tom Campbell an, an option in for this one, which would allow him to kind of take Pitnet in the Ruck contests and Marshall can can sit forward; it might save his legs a little bit if he is struggling a bit. But is Tom Campbell a legitimate option this week? Do you
2: think, H?
1: Well, Mike could probably jump in on the one because he probably he would have seen him. I believe he played down at Sandy on the weekend.
2: No, he was one of the travelling emergency. No, he didn't.
1: No. Okay, I thought he was going to be back this week, but yeah, I mean, no. there, there's the whole question of is he match ready, um, mm. or are we just going to throw him in as as you're saying? Maybe a big body. Just to, just to hit yeah, clash bodies with pitting it, um. So it's an option, but it's one that you sort of if he hasn't been actually playing, then we go do we do we want to do that? Um, it's, it does change our
2: structure. But, to how yeah, we had it for the rest, well, of I
1: guess if, if if Marshall is struggling, then I guess we sort of look at going. Well, last week, Mitchy ran in there and just ran over the top mm-hmm. of. Right Over top of there, Ruckman and tapped the ball to himself and took off. So hey, we could change it up again and have a bit of that again. But um, yeah, is that a better option than than bringing in someone who hasn't been playing? Then.
0: Um, before we finish up, got a couple of listener questions uh, before we wrap up. Shrappy seventy one on Twitter. Obviously, we we know memory is probably the likely replacement like for like for Caminiti. Jack Steele coming in. Who, who comes out for Jack Steele?
1: Um, um, I don't know. Does Gresham survive? That that's, that's one question. Does he survive? Um, the only other player in that kind, I guess that kind of area, I mean, you probably want to keep Cordy in for that option of a backup ruck. And the, and a. Maybe he can be that full forward this week, um, but yeah, I mean, there's, there's not it's many like else that
2: stay the sub.
1: Yeah, well, there's not many midfielders you'd sort of go, oh, that they don't deserve to play this week. No. Um, yeah, I mean, it historically, be tough it would decision.
0: Be, historically, it'd be a Bytel or a Burns, right? Like they're the yeah, they're the two, but Burns has been. Pretty good. The I last thought he was quite good
1: on the weekend. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, ben Patton's but, the other yeah, one. I tell, um, yeah, tell. being the sub, I guess again. Yeah, could could be, him. But yeah, at the moment, like I would not be against, Gresham going back to VFL for a week. Yeah. Uh, well, and that's those, that's
0: the, the, the next question. Um, a couple of people asked, but Tim Rosen said. Is it time to make a statement with Gresh or do you challenge him to be better and give him one more week to respond? Has worked with others this year. I think it could go either way. Paris is close, but maybe not close enough to follow through. But he's the only logical replacement for for Jade Gresham. Um, Is it time to make a statement with Gresh? Mick?
2: Um, My gut says no to give him another week. I think if we had had a full list to choose from, um, then maybe. But I just think blokes like Gresh with our injury list at the moment we don't bat quite deep enough to be making those statements as yet you know in if his form doesn't improve in the next six weeks and we start getting blokes back then by all means but as I said before I just love to play him forward permanently inside 50
0: but Quick ground under the roof. Maybe this is not the week to, not the week to drop him. H yeah. um, Max from Elwood says, it's nice to see the AFL world starting to give us some credit, but how long until they start to rate the list and not just the coaching? No way we could be this competitive without depth. The media has constantly dissed our list. How long until they do a 180
1: here too? Well, surprisingly enough, I think our biggest fan at the moment has been David King. and. Yeah. I, mm. I, I, I think we need time to go check hell, make sure it hasn't frozen over. It's, it's um, Yeah, it's, we're getting credit from some places, um, but it's, it seems to be those who you do see analyse games heavily, and he's one of them. And he's picked up those areas that we've really um, improved on and the players that have, um, have been the ones that um, have got us here. He's probably Mitch Owen's biggest fan. He, he he's absolutely in love with him. So it's yeah, we're starting to get that bit of credit. There's a few still putting it down to Ross, but at the end of the day, that there's a chance that's where it's all come from. He's basically knows what the strengths of these players have been, and he's walked in and gone, "No, this is what you need to be doing." this is what you need to be doing sort of thing and not he's been on the outside and watching and has picked up and knows exactly what was required so and the credit to the players they have read into it and believed so and that and that's where that's going to come from eventually
0: uh, Luke on Twitter asks if Max Heath is a chance to come in for Caminiti or will they persist with Cordy Uh, I think that Max Heath is probably still a while away from the seniors I think uh they stay with with Cordy for another couple of weeks uh at least and then Mick Danny Ruggs has asked once King comes back is that it for Caminiti or can they both exist in the same forward line
2: good question um there's probably a lot of factors we'll just have to see how memory's traveling when Max comes back does Max play a game or two in the seconds um yeah, it's a, it's an interesting one. Um, I hold you slanted, it, of course now that Cameridi won't be playing for three weeks, and we'll we know, we'll come back through the VFL. You would think, um, you know, if he if he comes and kicks a couple of absolute absolute bags against VFL sides, you know, he's hard not to pick him. Um, and you would hmm. think perhaps Cordy makes way for him.
1: Hmm. Yeah, uh, I yeah, think it gives an opportunity to what I was calling for forking and that is to have him up the ground further
3: hmm.
1: and because oh, i think he plays better football when he's free just that bit higher i think he get it gets um crowded and manhandled when he's stuck in the square and he plays up the ground and he's got that aerobic cap- capability and the or the capacity and the uh, just the ability to get around the ground and he take i reckon he takes more marks outside the 50 than in And it seems to be he gets up the ground early. If he takes a mark early, he seems to be switched on. But when he's getting the ball set on his head and he's got four defenders jumping all over him, all of a sudden he just sort of just drops away a little bit. So that ability to move him up the ground and just get him into the game to start with, I reckon will get his confidence up. And and he's got that other tall forward to kick to. So it's, uh, that could work in our favor.
0: Matt Man asked, why didn't Murphy get cited by the MRO at all? Uh, I mean, the, the vision shows that he probably probably got hammer in the throat or the you know, high up in the chest. But, you know, when, when the guy goes off concussed and he's going to miss the following week anyway, you know, doesn't really matter, I guess. Um, Lethal asks, should Marshall pinch hit as a deep forward for short spells in the game? Could give the forward line a different look, and Owens has shown he can excel on the ball. Mick, I think there was about five or six minutes to go on Sunday night, and we were four goals down, and I think we all kind of went, game's over, we're done. And I think I said to you, maybe we should put Marshall in the goal square and chuck someone like Mitch Owens in the ruck and see what happens. (laughs) And then all of a sudden it happened. I mean, is that something that we we can look to now, having seen it for a couple of minutes?
2: Oh, you're you're wasted in here, Nick. you coaching credentials. Um <laughs> Yeah, and it, I guess it gives Rowan a bit of a spell as well. Um maybe it, it would depend who the opposition is too, I think. If you're gonna do it against a, you wouldn't against say a Pit and De Coning to recognize Ruckman, but if you've you're against a side who's got one Ruckman and a pinch hitter and you and you time it right, then yeah, I mean we've seen Rowan, you know, Rowan was a forward when he came to St Kilda, so um Forest did set a half back at North Ballarat. But um yeah, I it's definitely an option. And we've that's a great thing at the moment. We've got options. Um I wouldn't rule it out at all.
0: Now some some final thoughts will go to our weekly awards, the Jason Blake Award for someone who deserves a bit more credit. H do you want to kick us off?
1: Um yeah, I just simply this week, I mean, I gave him a vote simply for, I thought he contributed really well on the weekend and um, Burns, I, I thought he really dug in. And it's, the way to look at it is you think of it, what he did in the game, if he did it against, say, the Suns a few weeks ago, you'd be like, okay, yeah, that's that's good. But he started against the premiership favourite and he looked good and he used the ball well. Um, if that first shot, he had a goal. If he kicks that, you you sort of give us... You think we had a little bit more momentum, but as say, he backed up and kicked another one. And um, just, yeah, the game he put in against what is arguably the top side in the league, I thought he was really good on the day. So that, that, that's my nomination for the week.
2: Mick, what have you got? Um, Give me my to Stocker. I think he... Hmm. He's one of these blokes i'd almost put Philippu in the same category um you you only see what he really does when you go back and watch the replay um mm. at, at the ground you know the little one percent as he does the in and under the little dish out hand passes they happen so quickly it's sort of and the game's flowing on and but you go back and watch the replay with the advantage some close-ups and and whatever and he's a real key link in our defense now, he's done nothing wrong since he came for Carlton. I've got a feeling he might be setting himself for a really big game this week. I reckon he's got mm. he's got a bit to show Carlton. Same with Philippo. Um, I guess I could give it equally. He I thought at times against Gold Coast just watching live at the ground, I thought he's just starting to show a few signs of a bloke who you know, a young kid, and under a a bottom ager, who spent significant amount of time at centre bounces. Um, starting to sort of show a little bit. And then I went back and watched the replay and thought, nah. And again, on Sunday, he had 14 possessions to half time. Nine of those were handballs. Some of those handballs in close were just elite. So, yeah. Yeah, like
0: I, Yeah, I, I'm on the same. I, I was tempted to give it to Brad Crouch again, just because, like I said, at the top of the show, I still feel like Crouch is, is probably a bit underrated, but um, I, I'm the same. I went Liam Stocker. I think um, what he's brought to our defensive unit is kind of a combination of Ben Patton and Jimmy Webster in that kind of tough, uncompromising. He's a big body. He's not afraid to throw himself around, but also he's got that really penetrating kick and and can deliver the ball really nicely Um, and has just given us a different avenue, bringing the ball out of defense. And and like you said, that, that link man across half back into the, into the middle Um, and really, really impressive. And and you you have to think that Carlton would be looking at him going, I think we let one go here um, probably didn't didn't treat him the right way probably didn't show him the respect he deserved and um, look he's he's a real key key piece in that defensive unit that you mentioned before H of just kind of you know playing above yourselves as as a group um, and he's just bought into that from day one and, and looks like he's loving his footy uh, the Shannon Noll Award who needs to lift Mick
2: ah oh, it's a cliche but Gresh. we figure if we nag enough maybe something might happen but <laughs> You know, I've, I've I've said it numerous times tonight. I wish he could play more forward, but he should still. You know, we didn't use pick whatever it was on him to for a small forward. You know, we we picked him to develop into a midfielder, and now he's in the midfield, and he's just he just doesn't finish his work. You know, he does all the hard stuff, and then burns players, or doesn't look, or turns the footy over, or panics, or rushes, and it's just a shame because if he had the composure of a, oh, dare I say it, a day <laughs> um, he'd, he'd just be
0: late. Mm. Sure. H I've been looking forward to your Shannon Noll award because like we touched on a couple of weeks ago, every time you give someone the, the Shannon Noll, uh, they come out and do some pretty nice things on, on the following week. So who have you got for us?
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm not touching Gresh. We've, we've been on that enough already. Um, I've probably got – a, a little, being a little harsh this week, I think. I mean, he didn't do much wrong on the weekend. But there's just a few little situations that I'm sort of looking at. I'm going, hoping that he can just improve on it. Um, now, in a few contests, Naz was just too easy to move. He just got moved off the ball way too easily. And then I was seeing he would – I mean – he'd he'd lose the contest and then the the player would just disappear on him as well he he almost fell off the contest the the, the second effort didn't seem to be there on the weekend Um, we've seen that him do that and do it very very well he wasn't playing on players who are a lot bigger than him but he was just getting moved way too easily and just getting knocked off the ball way too easily and a couple of t- I think there was one time where he, it sort of looked like he was half going in for it and he just pulled out a little bit and it was he's like come on Naz, you, you you gotta make that contest um so I mean the his game overall more than a pass he he played quite well it's just those little things that if if he can do that if he can just hold that ground a little bit better and had that second effort after the ball hits the ground or if his player does get the ball chased down or yeah, just, just that second effort. Um It just wasn't there on the weekend lot we've seen before. And I mean, I hope that means that yeah, this week he has 30 and hits a target 30 times. So we'll see how it goes. Yeah. I've Someone, something's
0: probably a little bit harsh because I think the expectations just aren't all that high, but I've given it to Zane Cordy this week. I think, that we are going into this game undersized as, as a forward line. Um, there's not a lot of, uh, you know, bash and crash. There's not a lot of power in there. Obviously, Memory's coming back, we, we think, but even he's not that traditional key forward. Um, we really need Zane Cordy to, to stand up and, and provide a contest up yeah. forward. Um, like I said, the, the, the expectations on Cordy haven't been high. And I think what he's given us from a leadership perspective up to this point have been pretty good and, and probably better than I expected. Uh, but, you know, he could he could make a real difference if he throws himself around and, and gets the footy and brings the ball to ground for, for Higgins and Butler and Gresham and, and whoever's down there to really have an impact because uh, we're going to need everyone, you know, full steam ahead to, to beat Carlton. We just lost to Collingwood. I would hate to lose to Carlton. Uh, the, the week after, that would just be the worst thing in the world. So, um, you know, if, if Cordy can kind of throw himself around and, and make his presence felt, I think that would go a long way to, to helping us uh, get there. But that's So St Kilda is, is getting harder and harder each week.
1: H, what have you got for us? I'm, I'm going to go an anti that So St Kilda this week. Ooh, The AFL pushing for five weeks and we got three. <laughs> oh, oh, how? Uh, clearly, it's usually be three, and we'd get five, but it's it's yeah, we've actually got one that's gone our way. So um, yeah, I'm turning the table and going an anti this week. So yeah, take it I a like win, it. take it as it is.
0: I like it. It's a win,
1: Mick. What have you got for us?
2: Um, I had the same thing actually, but I thought it was <laughs> so St Kilda that the whole supporter base, when we were waiting for the decision to drop. Just assume we'd be five weeks because that always happens. The absolute worst case scenario is, is what we get all the time. I thought, God, it could even be six weeks. You know, we looked at it and, you know, Gaff, Gaff turned Brayshaw's mouth into a pulp and got eight weeks, but they'd give Caminetti six weeks for an accidental because that's just so St Kilda. And then he got three. And the whole supporter base is on social media, like almost in disbelief. And I thought the fatalistic attitude followed by when something does actually go our way, I thought that's so secure. That <laughs> that, so, that surprised is surprised we haven't
1: secure. stormed Surprised we haven't stormed the Maraban tonight and celebrated. That's that's how uh, unusual it is right so.
2: right I don't I don't know who's more annoyed about the decision. The uh, the AFL heavies or the Collingwood supporter base. Don't care either way. <laughs> I have gone
0: uh, just a, a really frustrating thing in, in that we've we've spent the first five weeks with this undersized, inexperienced forward line. Uh and you know, Caminiti and Owens and Philippo have all each shown bits and pieces and, and done some really some really great things. And I thought that it was it was really promising. I thought Caminiti had shown enough that he you know, he's he would kind of get into the point where he, he might be able to stick in the forward line when a memory comes back and potentially even when a king comes back as well. And it's someone like Cordy that goes out. Um, but Caminiti was kind of showing some, showing some signs that you know he he belongs at this level, uh, and the week that we get memory back, kind of ready to go, Caminiti has to go out. Um, yeah, it was a, it was a dumb act, um, and shouldn't have happened, but that's so St Kilda, um, and we're not going to see Caminiti for a, a month or so. So that was uh, that was about it to finish uh, the show this week. I would just like to ask uh everybody again if if you do listen to the show and like the show to to give us a review and a rating on itunes facebook wherever you listen um whatever it is mick thanks for joining us uh it's been great to have a chat and, and getting to know you a little bit more again we've got some brilliant guests that we're looking forward to to lock in over the next couple of weeks so keep an eye out on those and uh go saints